City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Still moving the microphone. That's good. Classic classic Kevin. (laughs) Ah, yes, well done, well done. The third Wednesday of the month, it's a housing day, and we're going to be talking to Howard Morosi from Friends of Public Housing um, in the second half, together with Fiona. I want to keep wanting to say Fiona Ross. Fiona, Fiona York. Fiona York, that's yeah. right, because there's a Fiona Ross heavily involved in housing as we well. We could ask her if she'll change her name, I guess. <laughs> that's right, yeah. It'd be easier for you. That's right. Yeah. To, um, yeah, they could both change, they probably both change their first name to the same thing again. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, anyway, yeah, but so they'll be coming in talking about Fiona Ross. Fiona um, York is from the Housing for the Aged Action Group, and she'll be coming in with Howard to talk about Howard will be on the phone, but we'll be talking about housing issues. And in the first half of the program, we're going to be talking to uh, Gemma Caffarella, who's a uh, one of the activists in the campaign around um, around the Footscray Park issue, where yeah. they're giving. Where the, well, she'll tell us. But the uh, Vic, Melbourne Victory, one of the one of the teams in the National Soccer League, whatever it's called, are they um, football or soccer? Soccer. They soccer. soccer. Oh, uh, they they um, the council wants to give them a park to set up headquarters, etc. Well, they're going to put three. Yeah. Uh, football ovals on there. Whatever, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's anyway. We'll find out from it. But there's a massive local campaign, and a couple of weeks they're going to pour some tea while we're talking. A um, couple of weeks ago, um, the, the people went to the council to uh, to object and to be heard, but they weren't even let in the door. Mm. Subsequently, there's been a meeting with council, but it's all interesting to know why the council uh, is uh, is doing it. But we'll I guess we'll find out. I suppose we will, yes. I believe the council's argument is that it will be a chance for local kids, local youth to uh, to play sport, etc. But, of course, if you're talking about a professional soccer team, the chances of mm. kids being able to do it... And, they, of course, they, as usual, they say, oh, it'll be available for public use mm. at other times, but it, currently it's available for public use full-time. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and also it's uh, another example of public land being given away for free... To, to private exactly organisations, yeah, yeah. which I mean, the think the thing is that they say that they're going to maintain the grounds in exchange for paying no rent. Right. So yeah, well, that's good. They can probably run a lawnmower over it once a week. Exactly. Um, now on Monday in the Herald Sun, I just thought this was interesting. Um, they had a big full page ad. The Bolt Report with Andrew Bolt, opinions you can't ignore, with Andrew looking at us looking very clever. Oh, God. Have it all. And I thought that's for Foxtel, which, of course, is a Murdoch part of the Murdoch Empire. And I thought, well, that man gets paid absolute crap, absolute fortune to 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 broadcast and write utter crap. <laughs> and I mentioned yesterday at um, Chris Gaffney's funeral, and um, we should mention, because Chris died Wednesday after we were in air last week, that... Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our stalwarts at 3CR who's been here for well over 30 years. Um, but I mentioned that Chris spent his life, um, in fact, giving us not crap, but what we really mm-hmm. need to know mm-hmm. for years, but not getting the thousands of dollars that uh, Andrew Bolt yeah. gets. And then they, the same day, a bit fell out of promotion. The stories that matter, home delivered for just a dollar a day, the very same 
Murdoch newspaper, and I thought, well, mm. what what they think matters is that we don't know what matters. And again, people like us at 3CR um, at least give people what matters. Yes, we you do. See, you don't see much about the um, Footscray Park issue, for instance, in... Uh, in the big, in the mainstream media, haven't seen a single thing no, about it. No, it's didn't, interesting. I didn't isn't see it? anything about the ride that you went on on Saturday, the extinct, uh, climate change. Yes, that was Extinction Rebellion yeah. one, and it was a it was a huge huge rally. We met at Wallen Station. There were people, lots of people with bikes. And it was a great. The encouraging thing was a great cross section of the community, older people like me, yes. and there were young families. And yeah. then we walked and. Road, but mainly I walked because of, you're walking, you're riding at walking speed. You may as well walk <laughs> down to the town hall. We had a die in, but um, that got no coverage. But you've raised a point, and um, great segue there, in fact, uh, Meg, because mm. uh, have we said who we are? You're Meg Kimber, and I'm Kevin Healy. We didn't mention that's that. That's correct. That's right. <laughs> yes, that's right. People say we don't care who they are. Um, <laughs> anyway, right. the, there was a. There was a story the other night on Telly News, and again, pick, picky, big picky story with three pictures in yesterday's Herald Sun. Half a dozen traders at Reservoir are complaining about, again, Skyrail. Skyrail protesters have, vented their, have uh, vowed to disrupt train services in a fight against the project they claim will send local businesses broke, etc. Now, one uh, was a very small crowd, and you can tell on the telly. Mm. Um, secondly, um, they might have some they might have some justification in terms of losing money, but that can be sorted out, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, this is an, you know these works have to be done, uh, and essentially these things I think are more beneficial to cars than trains. Why did they block the train and not the road and the cars? I mean, it, it, mm. anyway, that's beside the point. But again, it just it gave publicity to something that was against the Andrews government. And how did they um, block the trains? They stood across the uh, crossing, so the train was in the station, and they were blocking the line. Oh yikes! Yeah, that's what the photo is. You can see. Well, there's, there's one of there. It is there. You can see it. Have a look at it. Let me have a look at that. Yeah, just a bit of ruffling paper as we sent it across there. Mm. Um, now, on the other side of that, with people protesting lawfully and properly by holding up trains because they're going to have their incomes mm. affected, mm -hmm. the Herald Sun was screaming and yelling last week. Uh, an inner city can, again, um, Melbourne's New Year Eve fireworks are not expected to be limited by the carbon policy. They had two stories. One, Melbourne City Council wants all big events to be carbon neutral, um, to reduce their carbon footprints in line with its recent climate emergency declaration, and it goes on about that. That's good. But then, well, it's, it's not good. It's obviously <laughs> not good because you'll, find, you'll discover Evan Mulholland, you know, he's a reliable source of these things. Yep. He's from the free market think tank, the Institute of Public Affairs. Notice they Our say free market. The IPA. Whereas with... Um, the one last week we talked about, they said a union-backed. Mm. Remember that? Union-backed. But this one is... They should say capitalist-backed. That's right. Well, free market think tank. Mm. The Institute of Public Affairs accused the council of ridiculous virtue signalling that burdened community groups and businesses with pointless red and green tape. That's because they want to reduce carbon emissions. Um, so mm. There you are. But next to that, there's an even more outrageous story. Outrageous story. <laughs> Cash for protest training. An inner city council is bankrolling a boot camp for student activists to get involved in climate change campaigns, including the September 20 Strike for Climate rally. Isn't, isn't this disgraceful? Yarra City Council, which declared a global climate emergency in 2017, is backing the Australian Youth Climate Coalition training pitched at secondary school kids aged from 12 to 18 wanting to get fired up to fight for climate justice. Uh. The council, that 
last bits in brackets, by the way, in, in parentheses. Oh. The council with three Greens councillors under the Yarra Greens banner will stump up for use of uh, Fitzroy Town Hall lunch, snacks and drinks <laughs> for the day. Lunch, <gasps> snacks and drinks. Think of that. Oh, my God, what a rot. Oh, my God. I've never seen anything like it. It goes on. Um, the state opposition uh, questioned the use of ratepayer money to fund the project, but it, go- it goes on in that vein, but uh, they take it pretty seriously. But, uh, but on such things... I think we've seen since the election the ALP going to water on everything and agreeing with the government. Um, the worst one. They this, stand for everything. That's now. right. That's yes. right. The worst one this week is that Penny Wong has come out and said she wouldn't have done anything different to what um, Morrison did last week in that communique where he refused to sign on coal about reducing coal. All right. Um, and she, in fact, came out this week and said now says that coal, the usual line, coal is de- is going to be part of our energy mix for years and it's an important part of the Australian economy, etc. I think she's and pretty then, conservative generally. Oh, I think she is yeah. too. I agree with you. Yeah. I, I've always thought she's quite conservative, yeah. really. Um, yeah. And um, so, and in fact, um, I was heartened, said Ian McFarlane. Now, he's a former Liberal minister. I don't know if you know him. Mm. He speaks he to speaks a voice down there somewhere. <laughs> he's, got, he's got one of those voices. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's ringing a bell. And um, a Liberal Nationals resource minister t- turned lobbyist for Queensland Mining. Penny is a very pragmatic person. Anthony Albanese should be congratulated for aligning Labor on this and taking a bipartisan approach with the coalition. Interesting. So, She's planning yeah. her um, ascension to party leader, perhaps. Well, I would have thought it's going to be hard to overthrow a government if you agree with everything it's doing. (laughs) Well, there's no need. They can just form one big conglomerate, conglomerate government. Yeah, that's true. The lead labs. Now, last week we mentioned about, um, we we talked to um, Dave Sweeney from ACF, the anti-nuclear campaigner, about um, nuclear. And he was optimistic that this inquiry would would see the light because mm. of the sort of evidence that would go before it. Mm-hmm. But the Financial Review yesterday or the day before, well, Thursday, in fact, last week, the next day after we had the interview, mm. small, safe, cheap and nuclear, and it has a two-page spread about all this. Yeah. But the conclusion is, in this article, and it goes over two pages, coalition MPs are usually loyal loyal to the government. If Taylor didn't want to, that's the minister, of course, if Taylor didn't want to build the case for nuclear power, it is hard to see why he would, would have commissioned the inquiry. In that case, it may be that the process is more important than the outcome. Get ready for a nuclear sales job. Oh, my God. So, um, wow. and, and that's backed up by the fact that in the Victorian State Parliament, a controversial push to allow the use of nuclear energy will be investigated by a state parliamentary inquiry. Liberal Democrats MP David Limbrick, who wrote an incredible article in the Herald Sun supporting nuclear energy mm. and attacking anyone who, who you know believes in climate change, mm. last night last night succeeded in passing a motion, despite the Andrews government's opposition, to set up the probe into scrapping bans on nuclear industries which were created in Victoria in 1983. That, that's badly written because they mean, I think they mean the ban was, was not the, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, young, the young people of today no longer fear nuclear holocaust. Come on. Today's young have a new fear. We're afraid of climate change. Today's young have a new fear, global warming, he said. The inquiry will report back to Parliament within a year. But uh, I would have thought there's some connection between nuclear and climate. Never mind. Um, How did he pass that bill with with the government didn't? Opposed it. It must be an upper house inquiry because they must have got those small groups in the upper house to back it. 
I assume. Wow. Um, it doesn't say that, but the Herald Sun never quite explains things. No. Um, <laughs> You've just got to read between the doesn't lines. Think, doesn't think they need yeah. to. Um, um, the other one, before we go to our first guest, because um, it's, uh, it's related to that again on, peop- on some of the worst things, worst aspects now coming into being, South Australia mm. has agreed to lift its ban on GM crops. Oh, no. Um, so um, I won't I won't read all that stuff out, but it's um, yes they're going to, and I thought what I find incredible is there's going to be a, the Whetstone, who's presumably the minister. Um, he said yes, Prime Minister's minister. He said a statutory six week consultation period would start from Monday. Now one would think that consultation would be to look at whether or not one would mm. think, after which the government would introduce regulations to allow GM crops to be grown. So what's the use okay. of the inquiry? <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yep. So, I mean, a lot of inquiries are a bit useless, aren't they? Well, they all are. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard, I don't know, one environment effects statement yet that hasn't approved what it's supposed to uh, investigate, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, let's go to our first guest, who's uh, Gemma Caparella. <laughs> Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Fraud band return playing the Tote Bandroom Sunday, September 1st. Having completed an 11 city Japanese tour, they now launch their Japanese released album along with US split vinyl. Very special guests are Japanese label mates 20 Gilders, featuring Mitsuru Tabata of Acid Mother's Temple. Light Magnetic, the new band with members from The Scientists and Paradise Motel, plus competition team. Fraud band. The Tote, Sunday, September 1st. Tickets, $10 pre-sale from the Tote Hotel. Tassie Mewen Records is a 3CR supporter. Okay, and on the line we have Gemma Caparella, who's a um, who's um, part of the Save Footscray, I don't know what they call it, she'll tell us what the name of the group is, but it's certainly Save Footscray Parks, the aim of it, um, from developers. Gemma, of course, might be well known to our listeners because she's also a part of 3CR. She's on the law show here. Done by law, aren't you, aren't you, Gemma? You're on done by law, aren't you? I am. Yeah. I'm on done by law. Yeah, that's right. Well, you should have told me that before I explained the whole process to her of like, oh, now I'm going to put you on hold well, and we're going to go through. <laughs> no, no. Sorry, Gemma. No, she has to learn. She might be slow. You never know. Um, Gemma, um, just look, Footscray Park, the, just to give us a bit of detail about the park itself and what's planned and um, why you're opposing it. Yeah, that, sure. Um, that's so a pretty probing question to kick off with, but see how you go. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big one, um, but I'm happy to get stuck into it. So basically, Footscray Park is quite a large um, public park. Uh, it's on the banks of the Maribyrnong River, uh, and of course it's on Wurundjeri land and has been used by the people of Footscray since 
1911 as a park. It was reserved then. It's got a really interesting social history. It was actually um, reserved as a park after the people of the West realised that they didn't have public parks. They, I guess they looked over to the east and the rich, richer suburbs and saw a lot of um, public open green space there, um, which we didn't have in the West. And so locals actually campaigned for local government to buy it or to get that land. Um, and they bought it off the racing um Commission, I think, so, so they're over the road with Flemington Racecourse. And locals actually donated their time, their labour and plants and money to get the park built. So it's got a really interesting social history. It's a really big park. It's a really rare piece of green open space that can be used for anything. And I think most importantly, at the moment, Footscray is undergrowing undergoing an enormous amount of growth. There's a huge number of apartments coming into the area, so lots of people who are moving into places without backyards and demand for green spaces is only going to grow. We've got an incredibly low amount of green space at the moment um, and so we're quite appalled at our council's plan to give away a large part of Footscray Park to Melbourne Victory, who are a private company. Yeah, and they're, of course, part of the National Soccer League, whatever it's called. Um, but they're effectively, they're, they, you're right, they're just a corporation, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Um, it's a bit shonky. They've decided suddenly when we've put out all this material pointing out that they're a private company wanting to take our park. And, and I do have to add, for free, mm. um, they're seeking a peppercorn lease and council, you know, would give it to them, I would assume. Um, so they're seeking to not pay any rent for at least 21 years, although it could be up to 65 years. Um, and they want to build a whole bunch of things along right on the side of the river. Mm. Um, but yeah, they are a private company. They've they've shonkily set up a not-for-profit arm um, to apparently do this proposal. So that I think it's just a bit of like you know something they can wash over in in the media, um, because of course it's going to be that very lucrative private company that owns the facility and and that's really what it's about they want a piece of very valuable very beautiful land that's really close to the city for free and what happened with the council in terms of trying to um you know voice the public opinion about this land being taken by melbourne victory we're incredibly disappointed with our council's Mm. response there's a huge public perception and i might add it's a very big widespread and genuine community campaign we can't get over the support that keeps coming in for Mm -hmm. our campaign um you know footscray is a very large and beautiful diverse Mm. community and there's um support for this campaign for you know for stopping this proposal from um all different areas of our community um but the response we've had from council has been nothing short of appalling um we've been locked out of council meetings they've had the um the um, huge bands of police turn up whenever we propose to go to a meeting. Um, we were turfed out of the first council meeting when a curiously timed um, fire alarm went off so we couldn't go in. Wow. Um, and, yeah, just generally they're not willing to listen. We don't think they're willing to listen to us. And we think, honestly, it's a done deal and it's all been sewn up behind closed doors, keeping in mind that council and Melbourne Victory have been negotiating this for um, over four years wow. before they've come for the, come to the community. So we feel like this is a sham consultation and it's designed just to implement what they've already decided to do. Would, would it become their home ground or would they just use it as a training facility? Um, a bit of both. So at the start, they will, they'll play a few matches there. I think the W League, the Women's League, will play some matches 
there. Um, but it'll primarily be a training academy um, for kids and also for their um, W League, so the elite women. The concern that we have is it's being sold as a community facility and something that's really valuable for the West. Um, I think that's all just, um, you know, convenient PR spin for them. We know that kids from the West won't be prioritised. Um, it'll be kids from all over Melbourne. And, um, you know, the other thing is they keep talking about the benefit that this will have for, for women's sport and for girls soccer in particular, but when we've um, dug through and found their estimates of who will use the pitch when, it'll actually be heavily weighted towards the men's and boys' teams mm. using it, of course. So the park as is is not a community facility, is that the case? Um, well, it's a wonderful community <laughs> facility, I guess, in that it's a large piece of open space and um, people can use it for whatever they want. So um, Council and Melbourne Victory keep pointing to the fact that it's underutilised and um, fallen into disrepair, which mm. is actually really quite alarming and concerning because, of course, it's council's job to keep it in yeah. good repair. <laughs> and we think that the, the time when it's fallen into disrepair, and it's not it's not that bad, um, you know, it's just a few, um, you know, puddles, and a little bit of turf maintenance needed, uh. but... We think that that coincides with the time when Melbourne Victory first approached them. We think that council stopped properly maintaining the facility then and then they're using their failure to maintain it as a basis for, for giving it away to a private company. That's pretty shocking. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty bad behaviour. So t- tell us about how people are using it at the moment. Yeah, so, um, you know, if you go down there, it's just, you know, people use it however they want to mm. use it. It's got a, you know, I see it as a real icon of um, the kind of beauty of multicultural footscray. So Mm. it's been used by a whole different um, range of community groups for a whole different range of things. You know, like there's been a history of, you know, like the old Italian guys out there playing bocce, people playing cricket. You know, there's some cricket pitches built in. Um, There were rugby posts up there until council removed them, Mm. um, probably shortly after they started negotiating with Melbourne Victory. Um, you know, people go down and just kick a soccer ball or a, a footy and it's also an off-leash dog area. But, of course, they've, you know, people just using it for, for relaxation and mm. for, you know, just going for a walk because we're, we're in this just increasingly bustling um, city and it's a really nice, calm, peaceful, serene area, mm. which is, you know, really quite uncommon in our area. Yeah. And the part of the proposal is that there'll be floodlights over the pitches and there's three uh, soccer pitches, is that right? Yeah, so three soccer pitches, two of them will be made with a hybrid synthetic turf, so we have um, environmental concerns about what that's going to do to the local area. Um, there's 10 floodlight towers, there'll be a PA system and a scoreboard. Um, mm. We, you know, The other thing that's really unspoken but we're quite concerned about is advertising. Mm. You know, in our beautiful um, you know, natural mm. park, I can only guess that we're then going to have signs up about local, you know, about businesses and big corporations that are supporting Melbourne Victory. So it's going to completely alter the nature of the park. Mm. And, um, yeah, we're really concerned about the impact on the amenity of of the park as a whole. Like, just to give you one example, at the moment, people get married along, there's a, there's a, I guess like a um, a walkway that goes up the middle of the park with some mm. really beautiful duck ponds on either side and people get married in that area. Mm. And I just think like, you know, the chances of people wanting to get married 
on the edge of a soccer training facility. Under the floodlights, yeah. Yeah, under the, under the beautiful, beautiful floodlights uh, and amongst the advertising banners. You know, I just think it's all those kind of mixed uses that we're going to lose if this goes ahead. Well, Melbourne Victory might happen to put in a divorce court or something uh, just, to, just to balance it out. But uh, one, one, of the, one of the best lines I heard in a, a replay of one of your rallies where, they, where you were locked out was a speaker because apparently Melbourne Victory say it will be open for public use when they don't need to be there and someone made the comment of no one wants to walk their dog at three in the morning which I thought was a very good comment. <laughs> yeah yeah because they want they want to use it from I mean they're being very cagey about when they want to use it but we understand it will be from 4 p.m till 9 p.m every night so you know the chance of one of the local kids who isn't some you know up-and-coming superstar and can't, and can't get to be a part of the academy um, you know going down and being able to get permission from the, the folks to kick a soccer ball around at quarter to ten at night, I think, is pretty, mm. you know, ridiculous. Yeah. And um, the, that's yeah. the key time that people are going to use, uh, like, parks and open spaces for recreation, like, after work. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, and on weekends is the yeah. other time they'll want to use it. Is yeah. there any heritage listing on the site? Yeah, there is. Um, so Melbourne Victory claim that it's only 25% of the area they want to use is heritage listed, which seems like a funny claim because... Like they've just heritage know, listed the corner of a park. Yeah, so yeah. They've, they've heritage listed um, most of the park. Um, they have um, tried to say that the um, grandstand they're going to build and their training, you know, the, the rooms and stuff are going to be built outside that area. Um, but the point is that the park is heritage listed because of its social... Um, yeah. And it's, you know, leisure value to the people. And, you know, the, the heritage listing talks about the views and the vista between the park and the river and the river and the park. Um, and, of course, whacking a, a big academy with lights mm. and PA systems and scoreboards smack bang in between the very, you know, unique saltwater river and mm. the actual gardens is going to completely change the way that all, um, you know, is able to be used yeah, we've seen um, at Federation Square that the heritage um, significance of that of that site affected um, the decision to build the Apple Superstore there. So that could be a hopeful sign, perhaps. Yeah, and our community's view is that we really hope that our council votes no. The vote is this coming Tuesday, and we've got a rally out the front of council offices at five forty-five um, next Tuesday at the Footscray Town Hall that we would encourage anyone and everyone to come along to. Our hope is that council will vote no, having heard the strong public opposition to this, but yeah. we are not. Um, we don't really have a lot of faith in them. Um, we think that they'll vote yes. And um, our next step would be, you know, that unfortunately this will just continue the division in the community and that we'll need to um, take every option available to us, which will be at the heritage yeah. stage, at the planning stage. Um, the state government would have to sign off on the grant of a Crown lease um, so we'd, you know, fight every step of the way. And then most importantly, you know, I guess it's ultimately a matter of democracy and we've got the 2020 local government elections and, mm. and we'll take it to those elections mm. as well. So there's no councillors that oppose the plan? None that will publicly state it, no. Yeah. It's oh. <laughs> amazing, isn't it? Um, you've, you've answered the next question, obviously. But um, I believe, because I, I think, you know, all these sporting bodies now are businesses more than sport, these professional yeah. bodies, and I don't think they should get any public money and lots of the AFL clubs get handouts for facilities and things. But I believe this mob have got $10 million of state money. Is that correct? Yeah, they've um, got $10 million from the state government. Um, we're really disappointed in that. 
I think that I um, would probably echo the concerns of the large part of our community when I say that we know that we're a really safe labour seat. And so that means that we don't really get prioritised for funding very often. Um, you know, Labor don't want to give us money because they don't need to and the Liberals don't feel like we're worth investing in because they're not a chance of winning these seats out here. Um, so it means that we've been neglected for a really long time. So it's really disappointing to see Dan Andrews hand over $10 million bucks to a private company who wants to do something in our area when really there's a whole bunch of local projects and, and opportunities just screaming out for money and, and we never really get that funding. So people are... Annoyed about that. Is the ten million to help them build these facilities, presumably? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it goes to them, not to us. It's, it's a grant of money to Melbourne Victory, not to the people of Footscray. The one positive thing I would say is that it's not tied. We've found out we've had to do a whole lot of um, digging and FOIing to get this information because no one's willing to actually publicly provide this stuff. Um, but we've found out that that $10 million grant, thankfully, isn't tied to any particular location. So we can see nothing that's really stopping Melbourne Victory um, finding a more appropriate site and applying that money there. Mm. Mm. Well, I'll be better wind up because we're going to move on to our next guest. But, um, Gemma, look, thanks for that. And uh, we might even get in touch next Wednesday after Tuesday night just to get an update immediately. Uh, mm. Yeah, that would be great. Not, I if I can just add there. one more thing, I just encourage people to go to our website, which is com. And most importantly, to come along to the rally on Tuesday night. We need to get as many people as we can um, down to council offices so they know this is a big community thing, um, which I hope they're already hearing, oh, yeah. but just to really cement that. And you said what time again? Was 545? Uh, 5.45 on 5.45, Tuesday night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Look, Gemma, thanks for your time this morning and good luck with it. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's all right. Gemma Caparella there, who um, is part of, obviously, part of the Save Fitchgrave Park. It's bloody outrageous, isn't it, what they're going to do? Unbelievable. Yeah, okay. Well, we've got a song about oh, that's right, we Fitchgrave have. Park, so I'm yeah. going to try and play can that. I just, just, before we play the yeah. song, can I just mention, because we, we mentioned her being undone by law on this program, yeah. just in a legal matter, if in the next half hour we get a result through on the George Pell decision, My gosh, we, will really? an, we will announce it, but it, it might it might take them more than half an hour to really? deliver it. But, uh, wow. Um, we'll be allowed to. We'll be allowed to say. Well, the we? appeal decision was nine thirty, but they might take half an hour before they actually give their announcement. All right. See, but if they do, we'll let you know. Victoria's roadside drug testing program is not about road safety. In last year's governmental inquiry into drug law reform, it was noted that Victoria's RDT program is falling behind on latest evidence regarding impairment. Currently, Victoria Police can charge people for detection of either cannabis, amphetamines, or MDMA. But those detections do not correlate with impairment. Impaired drivers should be removed from the roads, and that's why we're urging an inquiry into Victoria's RDT scheme to ensure that the resources that are currently employed to make our roads safer are being properly used to make our roads safer. Help us refocus road safety onto what makes roads safe. Sign the e-petition, parliament.vic.gov.au forward slash council forward slash petitions and look for the Inquiry into Drug Driving Reform, Petition 117. A 3CR supporter. The Renegade Pub Football League proudly presents its inaugural Pride Round, Painting Victoria Park Rainbow, on Saturday, August 24th. Celebrating diversity in pub football, this free community event offers a laid-back afternoon of gender-inclusive Aussie Rules football, alongside DJs and a charity barbecue. Saturday, August 24th, gates open at 12.30. 
For more information, including Pub Footy's August and September fixture, visit www.rpfl.com.au. The Renegade Pub Football League is a 3CR supporter. The Australian Plants Expo is a huge native plant fair with displays, books, garden pots, giftware and activities for children, along with talks, demonstrations, workshops, refreshments and door prizes. The Australian Plants Expo, Saturday the 14th and Sunday the 15th of September, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Adults $5, concessions $4 and children free. Contact Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra via email on apsyarrayarra at gmail.com or call 0430 513 433 for more information. The Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra is a 3CR supporter. Okay, we've got uh, we've got Fiona York in the studio from House of Engaged Action Group. We've got rattling in my ears on one one side. It's Howard, uh, <laughs> Howard so, yeah, Morosi's just... out there from Prince of Public Housing. We've got a bad line, Howard, apparently. Can you, is it okay now? It's, bit, it's, it's okay, better. yeah. It's it's, yeah. Uh, it crackles when I move, so... Oh, well, don't if, move. If it's cracking, yeah. I'm moving. Does, does breathing come into it? So um, I'd like to dedicate this to Chris Gaffney, who is always a very good uh, defender of, of the public sector and against privatisation and always speaking up for the workers and the poor. Yep. Great. Yep. Um, now, just to note, with your previous uh, guest, Gemma, talking about Footscray Park, it's a similar technique that they've used uh, with that to justify the corporatisation as what they use with public housing. Um, in other words, they, run it, they don't do maintenance, they let it run down... And then they say they either can't afford to do it or it's innately um, poorly maintained by government and therefore it needs to be corporatised. So same deal. And you know, obviously they're the ones to blame and not the actual uh, public service itself. And it should be kept, in, obviously, in public hands. Um, so we've got some rallies. Uh, we had a parliamentary session last Wednesday. Uh, more media coverage about public housing, and there's also, of course, a lot happening with private housing. So uh, I'll go to the rallies first. Uh, uh, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia has its regular rally, 5.30 till 6.30 every Wednesday, including today, at Parliament House. Um, also, the Greens uh, are going to have a rally for Grand Place Estate in West Brunswick. Um, it'll be this Saturday and it'll probably be 1 o'clock till 2 o'clock. Grand Place is um, in West Brunswick, as I say, uh, and it's just south of the Dunstan Reserve in West Brunswick. Um, there'll also be a conversation about uh, the problem with cladding. Um, the Builders Collective of Australia is having a public meeting on Sunday, the 25th of August. That's a Sunday, 2 o'clock till 4 o'clock at Brunswick Town Hall up near your way, Kevin. Yep. Um, and the speakers will include builders and academics and Kelvin Thompson. Um, so these builders, these are builders who obviously oppose and support the position on cladding that uh, maybe, the, maybe the industry itself should meet the costs. Um, 
presume so. Well, yeah. I think they haven't actually talked about what their solutions are, but the fact that they've got um, academics and Kelvin Thompson speaking on board presumably yeah. means that they're yeah. talking about proper regulation. Um, and, of course, uh, just on that point, we had an ABC report come out recently. Um, I think it was on Monday, actually, um, uh, Four Corners did a report about uh, how poor the um, current situation is with uh, apartment housing, and there was a recommendation that people shouldn't buy any new um, apartments because they're so poorly constructed. And, of course, that's a problem which has arisen, I think, largely because of the deregulation of the industry by people like Jeff Kennett and, um, well, I guess, Keating would have been part of that push as well. Well, it goes back to when they took the those yeah, that surveyor and that building approval process away from local government, effectively. And gave yeah, it and giving it to, to people that are actually doing the who were, who building were, themselves. Who so. in, in, that's right, in league <laughs> with the developers themselves, yeah. yeah I mean, what was going to happen? It's fairly obvious yeah. to anyone, really. Um so, uh, so that's the. Uh, so we had a parliamentary session last Wednesday uh, during Homelessness Week, um, and uh, so I wasn't unable to make it, and it was uh, broadcast. Um, apparently, just degenerated into the Labor Party um, uh, shellacking the Greens and misrepresenting their position. Um, Eileen Artman, the, the founder of Friends of Public Housing. Victoria went and she observed um, observed uh, Richard Wynne, the minister, stating that the Northcote estate is in a dreadful state, mm-hmm. um, which she denies completely. Um, years of neglect by the department means external cosmetic work is needed, replacing fences and applying paint. Uh, the buildings are structurally sound. Um, so again, that's the old the old trick that they've used to run it down. Yeah, um, I'll, go, I'll get Fiona to comment on this in a second, but just before, we've just got word that, um, in fact, George Pell's um, case, has been, his appeal has been dismissed oh. and he's got to continue to serve his sentence and he's not eligible for parole for three years. So um, there's some what I consider good news this morning. And the bookies' <laughs> odds were not saying that, so there might no, be a few disappointed no. punters out there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh so, my uh, gosh. thanks to Gab from the station for keeping us in touch on that one. Fiona, what um, have we been talking about? Comment at the stage? Yeah, I was just, um, I was actually reading the Hansard um, the transcript of what Howard was talking about um, just a moment ago, what happened in Parliament last week, and um, it was pretty disappointing to see it descend into this political point scoring kind of attack against the Greens with one minister after the other. Um, not talking about the issues at all, but but really trying to say that if you're opposed at in, in any way to the redevelopments or the, basically the handing over of public land to the private sector, that you must be anti-public tenant and mm. anti-people living in quality housing. Mm. Um, and, of course, that's just not the case. The issue is around, you know, handing over of this public land and giving it to the private sector. But, of course, like Howard's saying, they're saying, oh, it's such in Walker Street in particular, um, Richard Wynne named, which 
if you've been down to Walker Street, most of the residents deny this completely. Yeah. This is in Northcote, isn't it? This in Northcote, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, they're just saying that uh, that it's in such a terrible state and how can you possibly want public housing tenants to live in these slums and if you oppose this renewal process, you must you must be against the public housing tenants and, and sort of saying that we are they are our people, one of the ministers said. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh, public that housing they've let pe- it run into this state. That, well, that's right. And this kind of attitude, I'm sure there's lots of ALP voters listening um, and this kind of thing that people, that the Labor Party is for the working poor or or the working class is just not true when you see the reality mm. and, and trumpeting this 1,000 units that they've promised when they know it's a drop in the ocean. Mm. Um, it's pre- It was pretty bad. If you want to have a read of it... Um, it's, <laughs> I'm, happy it's, to, I'm happy to hear your view. <laughs> it's kind of enlightening, but it's really disappointing that instead of banding together and talking about the issues, surprise, surprise, they're using it as an excuse to have a go at each other. Yeah, Hansard isn't on my, isn't on my must-read list. But, <laughs> but, um, you read the Herald Sun. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know, well, you delve into those dark corners. So. <laughs> yeah, but I do satire. That's yeah. a, um, but um, in fact, I suppose it's worth noting that Richard Wynne, of course, who's now the Housing Minister, was also the senior advisor to... To, uh, Barry Pullen when he was the housing minister years ago and began cutting public housing facilities, etc. So yeah, yeah. It all goes back, doesn't it? history. <clears throat> Howard, yeah. any comments at this stage again? But yeah, yeah. Uh, just on that point, um, I went to a, the AGM of the Victorian Public Tenants Association last year and the CEO, Mark Fanane, was actually making the same claim about the Northcote estate that the tenants were... Um, they, they couldn't heat it, they couldn't, you know, it was intolerable living conditions. Uh, the, the tenants would actually contact him, desperate to get out, please get me out of here. Um, and the Victorian Public Tenants Association has was continually supporting the um, state government's privatisation of public housing renewal program. Um, so, again, it's another um, indication of how unrepresentative the Victorian Public Tenants Association is of of public housing tenants. Um, the other thing was we had um, the, the info sessions, which I talked about last month, uh, on the three estates which are about to be redeveloped. Um, so the government and the department turned up with the developers, actually. Um, so the three estates are North Melbourne, uh, Northcote and Preston. Um, so the government's now claiming there's going to be a 50% increase in units across the three sites, which is actually misleading. Uh, what they've actually done, <clears throat> in actual fact, there's going to be no change from what we were talking about before, which is the 10% standard public housing renewal program increase in the number of units. Uh, but because the um, size of the units in terms of bedrooms is decreasing, there's going to be an overall decrease in bedrooms. So what happened was Preston had 60, about 60, maybe 80 units, I can't remember off the top of my head, those units were demolished before the public housing renewal program was announced. So the government now counts Preston as zero. Mm. So they're just building an extra, you know, six or roughly ten units, uh, and they're claiming they're actually building an extra seventy because there's nothing there now. So they're misleading people uh, by saying there's a fifty percent increase. It's only the ten percent increase and actually a decrease in bedrooms. Yeah. And did they talk about how much of the new development will be handed over to the private sector? Uh, yep. So. Um, Let's see. I'm pretty sure it's just uh, the usual 75% mm. um, sold off in, on the private market and the one quarter kept. Um, so the, the one quarter kept 
by the government, will be owned by the government, but managed by um, the... Um, Social housing providers, yeah. yeah. And they've also changed the title, haven't they, from the Public Housing Renewal Program to the Social Housing Renewal Program. Yeah, okay. which is actually yeah. more yeah. more accurate. I'll give them that much. That one's more <laughs> accurate. Yeah. And so are the um, estates all empty and are we going to see them demolished in the near future or what is how is it going to progress if they... Apparently... There's still a few, maybe 10 families left in Northcote. Um, Preston is, you know, was flattened, so that's vacant. Uh, and they're going to start construction fairly soon. But they still have to get the um, families relocated. Uh, I think Eileen's still actually in um, in Walker Street in Northcote. Um, but once that happens, you know, they'll be able to demolish and, and start constructing. But also there's still this these campaigns about the fact that people who live in this sort of housing are pretty, you know, are not the sort of people you want in your neighbourhood. Interesting story in the aforementioned Herald Sun last week. Angry neighbours of a nine-bedroom boarding house earmarked for their quiet Glen Huntley Street fear it could be home to rowdy students or former prisoners, for God's sake. It goes on. And one bloke from the area said, we don't know who is going to be moving in. It could be students at least, at best, but there's speculation it could be a halfway house for people just out of prison or people with drug issues. This is a concern, and on they go. Um, it's quite frightening that these attitudes exist. It's quite frightening that they choose to put them in the publication. Well, that's, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So right. housing, what's happening at Housing for the Aged? Yeah, so yeah. I, I wanted to mention that one of the things that came out of that schmozzle at Parliament last week was the announcement of a parliamentary inquiry into homelessness. Yeah. Now, I know you're probably a bit sceptical about inquiries. inquiries. <laughs> oh. oh, no, yeah. no. Have you no, listened we, to the show before? No, yeah. We can give you the result now if you want it. Yeah, well, that's the thing that's the most frustrating, I guess, is that we all know what the solution is. Why do we need to have another inquiry? You already know that oh, we Oh, it won't to... be the solution. It'll be the, the result. I said result, <laughs> yeah. not, not solution. Yeah, we don't want a solution. We want to put it off some more. Um, so like, a couple of years ago, there was a parliamentary inquiry into retirement housing, and it was the same people doing it, the Legal and Social Issues Committee. Um, and although... Pretty much nothing's come from that apart from review into the Retirement Villages Act, which is a good thing, and that's underway at the moment. Um, the main thing that people wanted was a um, ombudsman, and that's not occurred. Mm. Um, and it did force the government to look at the issues, though, and there was about 900 submissions into that inquiry, which did show that, yes, this is a big issue and people do care about it. So I guess, if nothing else, it is an opportunity, and they particularly want to hear from people who have experienced homelessness. Mm. Um, so the terms of reference haven't been put out yet and there's no submission dates or anything. It's just been announced. Um, but we're hoping that some of our um, some of our members who have experienced homelessness will be able to have the opportunity to speak to Parliament about their, especially older women um, mm. who are experiencing homelessness for the first time. It's not their first time they've interacted with the system. It's one unexpected event in their lives that have um, all of a sudden made it unviable to keep renting or stay mm. where they are. So that's the kind of stories that we're hoping this will come out. But, yeah, I don't hold out much hope of it actually affecting any change at all. But, yeah, it's coming one, up. One of the challenges with these kind of inquiries is that often people need a lot of support to understand mm. how to actually make a submission. Yeah. So uh, uh, housing for the aged, helping people to do that? Yeah, and we certainly did that for the retirement housing yeah. um, process. We helped our members. We had 
sessions where people wrote their submissions. Mm. Um, but also we actually assisted people to attend the hearings. There was mm. a number of hearings all over the place and in rural areas as well, in Ballarat and Geelong and places like that. So we are certainly planning on doing that for this one as well. Mm. Um, and, yeah, hoping to get a bit more of the hidden homeless um, issues out there into the public eye. And it might be an opportunity for some more media as well, mm. positive media, not negative crap that you're reading. <laughs> and the need to know how quickly, there was a story in the age a couple of weeks ago about a doctor who's trying to treat people who are homeless. Yeah. And one of the blokes, uh, one of the homeless blokes said that, you know, he was going okay, but then his, his relationship split, he lost his job and like that, he could have clicked his fingers. That's he right. was homeless. That's right. That can yeah. happen to anyone. And so, with yeah. the Anglicare report into housing affordability, only mm-hmm. 1% uh, of houses in the whole country are affordable for people on the age pension, mm-hmm. 1%, and zero for people on Newstart. Yeah. So there's just no affordable housing. Um, again, getting back to why we need these housing estates to be 100% public housing. Yeah. 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 Howard, comment again here? Um, agree. <laughs> right. Okay. No, it was a good comment, that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I also okay. wanted to quickly mention that we've just done some work in Western Australia with our national project. I believe you had Jeff on while I was on holidays. Uh, we did, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he's been going around the country working with local agencies in each state about older people and housing with Adelaide University doing the research into why it's necessary. And unlike in Victoria, they actually are planning to have a um, strategy to deal with mm. the issue um, around housing and homelessness and planning for the future. Um, and it would be really great to see our government kind of do that as well because they're actually bringing people together across the, all of the different sectors to look at housing as the fundamental issue mm. that's affecting everybody's health and well-being mm. um, and come up with a plan. And one of those things that we're recommending, of course, is an increase in public housing, but also support for people um, to access information about housing and actually plan for the future so they're not all of a sudden, as you say, coming mm. across this thing and then they're, they're out on their ear. So, mm. Because yeah. housing is really the, um, the necessary thing that you have to have before you can sort out anything That's else right, like yeah. employment or like relationships mm-hmm. or you know mental health or anything like that how can you possibly deal with any of those mm. things yeah, yeah. Without secure, safe housing. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, in that article about the the medic, the doctor trying to help, um, you know, it was pointed out that a lot of people are homeless. They don't even have Medicare cards. They don't have, you know, they have none of these things, and uh, so mm. they just they're just stuck. And so if they get ill, they don't go anywhere near a doctor. Mm. Yeah, and then it becomes chronic. Yeah. 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 And I think also um, we can, with our peer educators, the difference in the way those women are now compared to the way they were when they first knocked on our door for mm. looking for assistance, mm-hmm. they were just, they're just different people now. They've got secure housing mm. and they're able to interact in the world and be a part of the community again um, and just their health and well-being, just mm. the way they physically look in terms of the brightness and um, everything around, about them is just truly incredible mm. um, and that's just because they now have secure, affordable housing. Yeah. 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 And, and the residential units that are, advertised, that are advertised ubiquitously now all the mm-hmm. time and tell you how wonderful they are in some isolated location. Mm. Um, but um, And they're also, if you look to the financial pages, they're regularly being these takeover bids. There's an American company currently bidding for one of them, et cetera. For so Avio, yeah. For, yeah, for Avio. So they're, mm. they're seen as um, they're seen as great you know, profitability in the future of housing. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't augur well, though, for those who can't afford to get in them because they're right. quite expensive. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, 500 grand minimum. Yeah, so we're, yeah. again, talking about the private sector you know, taking over, effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
just yeah. on that point, Kevin, um, I don't know if you saw the article in the Herald Sun uh, last week. It's actually, no, two weeks ago. Probably uh, did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, this was actually um, housing would save millions, homeless. homeless yes, I saw that. I did yeah. see that, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So that was Price Waterhouse. Yeah, uh, Cooper's actually young, yes, yes, right. not, doing a report. Not, you, not, not some communist group who got together and worked out a policy. Well, I'd say no, they've so. been infiltrated, though. <laughs> yeah. um, well, it sounds like it, doesn't it? Yeah, like, governments, but, governments could save $250 million per year in health, justice and welfare services if the most vulnerable homeless people could be moved to accommodation of a social housing standard. Mm. So... You know, at least there's some movement there. Mm. They're still talking about social housing, of course. They quote the Salvation Army, the major beneficiary of yeah. social housing. Um, mm. But at least, at least they actually ran an article about it. At least it's got through to Price Waterhouse, and they actually they also published a, a letter from one of our members, Jack Verdens, who who was allowed to talk about um, the problem with um, privatisation of public housing. And that was actually a letter of the day um, a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Yeah, Jack's the bloke who spoke at the pensioners do the other week, wasn't That's he? Right, yep. he you know, I've heard his I heard his speech re-recorded because I was here that day and I couldn't get to that conference. But he um, he spoke very well indeed on that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've got lots of great activists. That's the other thing. I mean, there's a lot of the government's the culprit, but there's a lot of us out there still working very hard um, to um, resist. And um, you know, that's all you can do. And so ideally, mm. what, what, what does everyone want to see? Like in terms of the fact that these redevelopments are happening, what's the best outcome at this point? Well, the best outcome is for it to be 100% public housing. Mm. Um, actually, to leave... I mean, if it was possible to leave the, um, the estates like Walker Street still standing and put the tenants back in that were there that want to return mm. and do the developments elsewhere because the government's privatisation privatising a lot of its land now, um, which could actually be used for, for public housing without having to demolish anything that's currently standing, without mm. having to destroy mm. the garden state. Because, I mean, people forget that the um, housing estates were built at a time when we believed in the garden state, not just continual high-rise and, mm. and, and mm. you know, packing as many people as possible into mm. the sub-quality uh, housing. You got a final word, Bianca, because we're going to have to wind up. Yeah, no, I just totally agree with everything that Howard well, just said. Well, that's good. Yeah. Everyone agrees. So, with what it's good to be in the echo chamber <laughs> with people that agree with you. I just, want to, I just want to finish with this because we've got a note. A caller rang up and said about talking about our interview over Footscray Park. He said, one can predict the Melbourne victory Footscray Park appearance by looking at the sports precinct between Gosh's Paddock, Olympic Park, the velodrome and the proposed entrance of the Domain Tunnel. And I agree totally. Uh, mm. you know, much of that with public money to private footy clubs, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay, and I that. just want to say that we didn't get to play the song about Footscray no. Park this time, but we will play it next time. It was just a technical error. So yeah, I won't be in next week. In, but you tune can, in uh, next, next week. And you can do an update on what happens Tuesday night as well at the council meeting. Yes. Okay, thanks for all. Thanks, Brianna, for coming everyone. in. Thanks, Howard, for your Great, contribution thanks. again. And um, next week... You're doing whatever. Yeah, looking at some hex debt and student loans. Yeah. Good. There's a boy on a horse who knows what he's doing. He knows how to ride. Sitting up straight